You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. He's risen. Amen. Amen. Well, we want to welcome those folks uh, joining us online today uh, for whatever reason. We know that there's different reasons why you couldn't be here in person, so we just want to say a special welcome to you. And uh, we're so glad this morning to come together and to worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. As we think about Friday, we remember that he suffered according to the plan, but that on the third day, he rose again, just as he said. On the Friday, he was beaten, whipped, scorned, and hung upon a cross. As he hung there, he took my sin and your sin upon himself, and the wrath of God was poured out on him. The result of that is that you and I might have life in Christ going to the cross and then rising on the third day, sin, death, and Satan were defeated. And the culmination of that victory is coming. We read in the Bible that after Jesus rose again, he walked this earth for about 40 days. He was in front of crowds as large as 500. He continued to instruct the disciples. And then he rose into the sky before them. And they were told that he's going to come back in the same way that he left. This morning, I want us to think about the fact that we live in a time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. The Bible is clear as we read this morning, we don't know when he's coming back, exactly. No one knows the day or the hour. But there are some things that we need to be doing as we wait the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This morning, I've entitled the sermon, Alone in His Glory. When you look at the book of Revelation, you see that the fact that, that Jesus was slain for our sins is like the centerpiece of all, all creation and all of history. We read in Revelation 5.12, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And he's coming back. That king is coming back someday soon. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready for his return? As we're going to see this morning, there are going to be those who will not be ready. And it will be the worst day ever for them. Because Christ, when he comes this time, he will come as the judge, not the Savior. He'll come as the judge. And time will be done. And so that will be a terrible day for those not ready. But for those who are ready, it will be the best day ever, as we're going to see this morning. And so, as we're going to look at the text, the text that, that Trenton read for us this morning, Mark 13, we're going to see six actions, which require, sorry, six actions required of those who worship Christ for he alone, for, for who he is alone in his glory. Before we do that, though, let me pray for us one more time. God, we thank you for this time together. We thank you, Lord, that Everything that you say will happen, happens. 
just as we read the Old Testament and your predictions of your first coming and, Lord, how you fulfilled every single one of those. And, Lord, as you have predicted what will happen in your second coming, Lord, we know that it is true that these things that you have spoken to us will come into being. And so, God, help us to be ready. And God, as we look at the text this morning, Lord, help us to see what it is that we should be doing while we wait for your return. And God, this morning, I'm so thankful that you know every heart here this morning. Lord, there may be some here, here or watching online that, that don't know you. They know about you, but they, they've never repented of their sin and placed their trust in you. God, this morning, would you help them to see that you're a good, gracious, loving Father who has sent your Son that they might have life? Lord, would you grant them repentance and help them to trust in you? Lord, those of us who are already in Christ, God, help us to be spurred on by the things that we see here this morning. Help us to be better worshipers as a result of our time together. Lord, use this preacher now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Mark 13, everyone uh, hopefully has a Bible. If you, maybe you probably have a Bible on your phone if you don't have your Bible here with you. But I want everyone to be looking down at the text today. We're not going to reread those 37 verses, right? We're going to, but we are going to go through them. And um, again, I wanted to set the scene. This is Mark 13. It's the, the, they've been to the temple. They've cleansed the temple. And Jesus has gone back across the Kidron Valley to, again, the Mount of Olives, the same place that we've seen him on Friday as he was there with his disciples. He's sitting there, and he's, the, the location they're at, they would look down on the temple. They could see it from there. And the disciples had already said, look at these amazing stones. Look at how incredible this, 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 this temple is. And Jesus said, not one stone will be left on another. And so, as they get back over to the Mount of Olives, they're like, so can you tell us when these things will happen? Now, to help us understand Mark 13, we would need to understand that for them, the, the destruction of Jerusalem, the attack on Jerusalem would then precipitate that the fact that Christ would come in his kingdom and power. And so they've seen it all as one event, that, that the, the destruction of the temple would mean that Christ would now then come in power and reign. They didn't see this 2,000-year gap plus that you and I know now in hindsight. We probably would have been in the same spot as them, right, back then. But, but we have 2,000 years later, we kind of see that these events are separate. And so the, as, he, as he tells them these things, he's talking about the destruction, not just of the temple. He's talking about his, his second coming, and he's talking about the end, as we look at these verses, I think Edwards puts this well, we see that there's a, the premium of discipleship is placed not on predicting the future, but on faithfulness in the present, and especially in trials, adversity, and suffering. So it's not so much about, you know, what's the date, it's more, am I being faithful to the Lord God in the light of the fact that he is coming back at any moment? That's what we see as we look through the text. So Christ is alone in his glory. So first, be wary. Be wary. We need to be aware of a certain danger. Jesus warns us that between the time he leaves and returns, there's going to be many imposters who will claim to be him. 
if you want to just go on Wikipedia, okay, you can find that there have been messiahs who have come in, in, in the Jewish world, in the Christian world, and in, even in the Islam world, guys claiming to be the messiah. But they are not. Mark 13, 5. Jesus began, to, Jesus began to say to them, see that no one leads you astray. Watch out that no one deceives you. Edward says this, beginning in verse 5 and continuing throughout the chapter, there's a running admonition against future speculation at the expense of present obedience. To stay on course, do not be led astray. Verse 6, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Verse 21, look down there, continues that same thought. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you these things beforehand. Hey, just a heads up. There are going to be a lot of people who come and say they are the Messiah. Can I tell you something? They're not. They're not. Over the last 2,000 years, we've seen many, many people come and go. Feinberg, he was writing in 1953, he said there had been 64 false messiahs who had tried to lead Israel astray. So that's just in the Jewish world, 64 false messiahs. I don't know how old you are, but you would think of in our day, people like David Koresh, uh, Moon in Korea, people claiming to be the Messiah. And guess what? People follow them. If they would just read Mark 13, they're like, uh, nope, not the guy, right? As we're going to see, there's going to be no doubt when the guy comes. When Messiah returns, there's not going to be like, oh, I wonder if it's him or not, right? As we're going to see. But people are being deceived all over this world by people claiming to be the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, this is going to continue right until the day that I return. In fact, the greatest imposter is going to be the Antichrist. And he's going to make sure that everyone bows down to him. And so he'll come at the end. And, and, and listen, did you know He'll come with what? Many signs and wonders. Right? We have, in a, we have live in a day like, show me, prove it to me. And guess what? He will. There'll be some signs and wonders that he's going to do. And listen, even if it were possible, the elect could be led astray. Don't be, don't be so confident thinking, well, I wouldn't be tricked. Listen, the only way that you are not going to be uh, deceived is by the fact that you are his children. That's the only way. So what do I need to do? How can I make sure that I'm not deceived by the teaching? Be people of this book. Be people of the book. Don't be people of experience. You know what I'm saying? Well, I had this experience, and I think, I believe, I've, I, 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 God spoke to me, maybe, or maybe you just ate too much before you went to bed, right? It could be that. We don't know for sure. How do we know? Listen, how do we know for sure whether God spoke to us or not? Does it line up with this? That's the only way that we know. And Jeremiah 17 says that our heart is deceitful above all else. 
And so we cannot even trust ourselves. We can't trust feelings. We can't trust what we might see. We can only trust this word. And so if we would be firm, if we would not be deceived by all these false messiahs, the only way we can do that is by being people of the word. Now, I kind of get fired up about this because I, get, I see people all the time being deceived in the church, people being taught things that aren't in the word of God. It kind of, listen, there's always a little bit of the element of truth, isn't there? There's just a little bit. It's not so bold that you're like, well, that's for sure that's wrong. I've, but there's just a little bit there. And if you're not in the Bible, you could be easily deceived. And so we need to be people of the word. When, when Jesus comes, if you just gonna, as we've already read in Mark 13, as Trenton is already for us, read for us, you'll know the Messiah is here, as we're going to see. So be on guard. Jesus has told you these things beforehand, right? So I need to be, I, I can't take any confidence in myself that I'm going to be so smart that I'm not going to be, be on guard. Keep your eyes on the Lord. How do we know when the Messiah comes? Let me just read Revelation 1-7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Who will know that the Messiah is here? Everybody. Everybody will know. It won't be like, well, there's this guy over in Korea. Like he's saying he's the Messiah. Maybe he's the guy. No. Because you didn't see him come. You will see him come. Every, every eye will see him come. So we need to be wary. Second thing, as we think about Christ being alone in his glory, we need to be warned. We need to be warned. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. And, you, and when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Uh, the warning here is don't get freaked out when you hear about these things. They're going to come. Do you think there's been a couple of wars over the last 2,000 years? Okay, been a whole lot of wars. A whole lot of rumors of wars over the last 2,000 years. There's been earthquakes. There's been famines. And he's saying what? This is just the beginning. These are the early stages of labor. Now, if you've ever had a baby, men, we've never had a baby, right? But we are told that at the beginning, there's some pain involved, Right? As the birth pains come, and then there's this period of suffering before the baby comes. And so it is with Christ's second coming. There's this period of suffering that we're going to go through before he returns. Edward says this, The purpose of the litany of woes in 13.8 is not to lure believers into speculations about the end, but to anchor them to watchfulness and faithfulness in the present. Do you know how many books were read, uh, written after World War I saying that Christ was going to come at any moment? Do you know how many books were written after World War II saying that Christ was going to come at any moment? He could. But 
He's saying, listen, he may come, he may not come. These are the beginning of the birth pains. And as we look at the text here, there's the beginning, but then there's a growing in intensity. Look down at verse 14. He says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, can I just say, what we're doing here this morning is like 30,000 feet at the best of looking at the end times, okay? I, hopefully this is not the only time you've ever think about it. Because what I just read there, we could talk about that for about four weeks, okay? The abomination of desolation. What is that? I'm, gonna, I'm just simply going to tell you my understanding, and then you can study and see what you come up with, okay? But I believe the abomination of desolation is the Antichrist. He will come. He's going to come on this earth. He's going to have signs and wonders. He's going to be powerful. And he's going to come and into the temple, as we see here, standing where he ought not to be. We believe this based on what we see in the Gospel of Matthew, if you look at the parallel accounts. Standing where he ought not to be, Matthew tells us he's standing in the temple. He's standing there where he ought not to be, desecrating the temple of God. We also read this in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4. This would be a great morning to just write notes down, look up stuff for yourself later. But 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So when you see that day coming, it's, we're ramping up. Things are going to get a whole lot worse. Listen to what he says in verse 15 and 16 about just the intensity of this time. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. In other words, flee, run, get away as quick as you can. Do not take time to worry about your comfort. Get out and flee for your life. Highlighting the difficulty, he continues, he says, And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. Winter, because of the cold and the rain-swollen rivers. Jesus continues, For in those days there will be such tribulation as not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Did you catch that verse? Um... I've read my Bible and there's, there's this flood thing in Genesis 6. That seemed pretty major. Worse than that. Tribulation that's coming will be worse than that. I've been doing some, some study in Revelation this year. That's my, my goal. Get through the book of Revelation. One verse at a time. Just taking like a half an hour every day. Looking through it. Studying it. And, and from chapter 6 through 16, you just see this intense tribulation time that will be coming on this earth. It's a warning, just as we, we said, as, as we were talking about here. We need to be warned about these things. There are great times coming on the earth, great times of tribulation. So it's going to be worse than the flood. And he says in verse 20, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened those days. 
Who's in control? The Lord is in control. As John wrote the book of Revelation, there was great persecution against the church. I think those days are coming again and already are in many places in this world. And we should take hope as followers of Christ that Christ is in control. He will win the victory. And where there is no injustice that will not be judged. And we need to be warned that great days of tribulation are coming. However, God is merciful. And for the sake of the elect, he will shorten those days of tribulation. Earthquakes, famines, and wars are just the beginning. But worse days are coming. In 2021, we can say this. There are still horrific days that are ahead of us on this earth. There will be great days of tribulation, but they are not here yet. Know the days in which you live and keep your eyes on Christ through it all. Next week, we're going to study the book of Romans. We're going to continue our study of the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 8. And as we study that text, as we get to the end, he's, he talks about the earth groaning. He talks about the fact that, that there is an end coming to the things of this earth. And then he says this in Romans 8.35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Can any of these things separate us from the love of Christ? Then he says in verse 38, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what is coming our way, be assured of this, that the love of Christ is with you. And he will help you and guide you through whatever the Lord is bringing our way. And he will get us through it. So in the midst of the chaos of our world, may we be reminded of the individual love of God for each one of his children. Seems pretty chaotic today, right? I think based on what we're seeing this here, it's like, uh, we ain't seen nothing yet, okay? But guess what? Just as the Lord has got us through this last year of difficulties, he's going to be faithful to get us through whatever he will bring our way. Amazing grace to all of us who are his kids. So be warned. Be wary, be warned. Then he says this, be witnessing. Be witnessing. Look back at verse 9. He's talking to the disciples. He said, but be on guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you'll be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. If you've read the book of Acts, you're like, yep, that will happen and did happen, right? It happened to the disciples that Jesus is talking to, and it happened to other followers of Christ, including the Apostle Paul, who went before governors and testified on Jesus' behalf. And what we've seen is, as the church was persecuted, the gospel just spread. And what he's saying here is, the persecution will not result in the gospel being stopped. The gospel is going to continue And he says in verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. 
Why has Christ not returned yet? He wants the gospel to go, go to all nations. He wants everyone to have an opportunity to come to faith in him. And so you and I have the privilege of going and proclaiming the good news wherever we go. This is the mission while we wait for him, right? That is the mission, to go into all the world making disciples. If you are in Christ today, let us be reminded that this is what we ought to be doing until he returns. When the persecution comes, don't be anxious. Verse 11, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Listen, the Lord's enemies are not in control. God is in control. And so if you are arrested and you have to proclaim the gospel before those who arrested you, don't worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit is going to give you the words to say. And you see that over and over again as you go through the book of Acts. If you've ever read a book like Fox's Book of Martyrs and look back on the past of people who have been just these incredible witnesses in that hour of trial, this is being fulfilled over and over again in this world. When people go through great trials, the Holy Spirit is with them and speaking through them. Difficult times face every believer. See what it says in verse 12. And brother will deliver brother over to death. And the father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Now, we probably haven't experienced that. Those of us who have grown up in Canada, you know, people may not like you, you know. Easter dinners and Christmas get-togethers are a little difficult because people don't like you because you're a Christian. But they're not trying to kill you because of your faith. But that happens all over the world. As we were over in Nepal uh, back five, six years ago, we went over four years, and you talked to the brothers and sisters there. That was their story. If you don't recant of your faith, we're going to try to kill you. Over and over again, that was the threat. Sadly, that's happening in many countries, even in the world, around, around our world, even today. Verse 13, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. As we think about Christ's return, we need to be faithful. We need to go to everyone that we can and proclaim this good news, that Jesus Christ has come, and that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's our joy and that's our privilege as believers. And maybe we don't have as many people hating us as we should because we're not telling anyone about Christ. We're just kind of keeping it to ourselves. But the Bible tells us that if we do, people will hate us. Which seems like so counterintuitive, does it not? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you're bound for eternity in hell, and I'm trying to tell you, don't go there. Listen, there's someone who loves you. There's someone who, who died for you. And if you would just repent of your sin and place your trust in him, you could have eternal life. This is the message that we get, get to, to get, give to people. And guess what? 
Sometimes they would just as soon spit in your face when they hear that. Now, listen, as we've seen on Friday, if Jesus suffered to save us, maybe we should not be surprised that we might suffer when we try to help people as well, right? Well, why, 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 won't, they, why won't they just turn to Christ and put their trust in him? Well, the Bible tells us that they love their sin. They love it. They understand this, what? There's a cost in following Jesus. Is there a cost in following Jesus? Yes, there is. But listen, it's pretty short-sighted to say, I'm not gonna follow Christ because there's a cost. Because if you don't follow Christ, the cost is much greater. You and I, who are believers, we may have a miserable X amount of years, 50, 60, 80 years on this earth. Maybe, maybe a lot of people don't like you. You go through really difficult times, but God is with you through it all. 